0: So last week we looked at the book of Galatians, kind of we approached the book of Galatians. We looked at the story, the context, the, the setting of the book of Galatians, the occasion for it. And we concluded in chapter 6, verse 15, we saw that this is Paul's main objective. Now the Galatians has obviously a lot to do with the question of justification by faith. Justification by faith alone or, or works. What's the relationship of those things? And, and a lot of like uh, theology nerds kind of click on that hyperlink and that's what Galatians is for them. But I want to show you that Galatians is actually something else. More fully, more completely understood as addressing a different problem and one that all of us much more immediately sense. And we see this here in Galatians 6.15. So think about the the story of Galatians and how there's this battle between the circumcision party and and presumably the Gentiles who are uncircumcised, right? Now listen to what Paul says in Galatians 6.15. He says that neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. But the only thing that counts for anything, the only thing that counts is the new creation. That's a that. What is new creation? That's a big, interesting word here, isn't it? That's a big biblical concept that goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, the creation and the promises through the prophets of a, of a new thing that God was going to do. And what Paul is saying is that God is doing that new thing. He's done it. He's doing it. The new creation is here. And that, it's emergence. It's sustenance. It's... Its health and its uh, increase is the only thing that counts, is the only thing that matters. I want you to see a connection here with what, in Paul's mind, the new creation is. It's how he ends the book of Galatians in the reading that Brian did for us this morning, Galatians 5:25 through chapter six, verse 10. And in those verses, he describes something that doesn't seem to have anything to do with uh, community, or I'm sorry, with justification. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with these big theological questions. It has to do with verse 26 of chapter 5. Let's not become conceited and provoke one another, envy one another. Instead, chapter 6, verse 1, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And keep watch over yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 5, each one is going to have to bear his own load. Verse 10, Galatians 6.10, So then as we have opportunities, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. What is the new creation? It is a community. The new creation is a community that manifests the life of Jesus in this world. In other words, it's the Galatian churches. The Galatian churches is the new creation that Paul is so concerned about, and it is a it is a beautiful thing when you see it. It's a beautiful community. So many of us go back to it and love Acts chapter two. You remember this? After the Spirit comes upon the church and on Pentecost. And we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We read of that that first emergence of the new creation after Pentecost there. And we just, our hearts thrill with that. Don't, they, don't you, you long to be in a place where people are sharing freely with each other and taking care of each other and being responsible to each other and for each other, being accountable to each other? It is a beautiful, beautiful picture. And there's thousands of stories of every church, right? We're here in part, obviously, because we love Jesus. But we're willing to go to church, which is a very strange and unusual step, Because we have at some point tasted this a little bit. We've seen this a little bit. The beautiful community. We've seen people respond to a crisis. We've seen people come alongside us. Or we've been led to come alongside others. And we've seen the presence of God in the friction of the life of the church. We've seen God there. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. We want to talk this morning about where does that come from. Where does that beautiful community come from? Which I think is a very relevant subject for us in this culture, in this moment. Of course, we are post-COVID, where everybody everywhere is talking about uh, how community and relationships are strained and stressed and, and things have fractured because of the different uh, isolations and quarantines and protocols that, that we, uh, some of us gladly took and some of us had foisted upon us. But even before COVID came, In two different countries there there were already governmental posts called the Minister of Loneliness. Dib's band name. They were right governmental positions where people were attending to such a society-wide problem, loneliness. In the UK, they their polling produces the the observation that twenty-two percent of people don't say they don't have a single friend. This is pre-COVID. In the U.S., they uh, they've been studying loneliness. We don't have a minister of loneliness because we're not a bunch of wimps. We probably should have a minister of loneliness. I'm being facetious. Um, they study the they study the effects of loneliness. They say people lonely people it's like uh, having um, 15 cigarettes a day. It costs the national economy of the depression and the addiction and all the the consequences of this grief that enters the workplace costs the economy about a trillion dollars annually. New studies are just coming out specifically on um, the health of men because most guys, right, we tend to sort of think, well, I don't really need that many relationships. Relationships, that's a, that's a, a woman's concern. It's not really a guy's concern. It is a guy's concern, and we're not doing great at it. Half of all men say they have three friends or fewer. Half of all men in the United States have three friends or fewer. From 1990 to 2015, so basically one one generation span, the number of men who said they had no friends went from 3% to 15%. Remember, even before COVID, John Mulaney the comedian had a bit about how uh, he remembers seeing his dad with other guys? Like, he said, that he said your, mo- your, your mom has f- friends and they have husbands. Those aren't your dad's friends. Like, your dad doesn't have friends. And I think, you know, when we think about this, when we think about our dads, our grandpas, yeah, where were, where were their friends? This is a, this is a problem. We, we want community. We, we need community. But how is this going to come about? One article I read that was talking about this loneliness stuff, and they were lamenting it, the, sort of the, the, the action point was, I thought this was kind of sad, uh, there is no magic solution. You should just go talk to strangers. <laughs> I'm like, okay, like, they're already lonely and, and anxious, and now go do the exact thing that you're worried that might happen, a stranger might talk to you. I thought, this is just, this is too funny. And then, you know, I remember how even like 10 years ago, the language and sort of the social discourse was about how we should be tolerating people, We're tolerating everybody. And when we come to find out that being tolerated is kind of an annoying place to be, we don't want to be tolerated. We want to be wholeheartedly loved, right? We want to be known and loved. And so that, how is that going to happen? Can we legislate that? That's sort of some of the, the political thinking right now is let's legislate that people have to know you and love you. That's not gonna happen either. But this has always been a struggle in communities, in churches. I just heard a pastor lamenting this on a podcast. He's talking about how people will say that they really want community and so they love going to church, but then they don't want to contribute, they don't want to participate, they don't want to be responsible for the other people there. So that's that's something to lament, but then how do you fix that? You can't just like yell at people and tell them to step up and volunteer, and that doesn't work either. So the question of how can this beautiful community come to be is actually a very relevant, very important question. And I always want to say at the beginning that I think Fellowship Bible Church is a good community. And I want to share something with you to kind of congratulate you, but but I think we still have some work to do here. So uh, in the, the new members candidates group, there's about uh, seven or eight folks in there, and almost all of them has, have expressed that they want to be members of the church to some extent because of friendships they've had and because of the nice the, the goodness of being in community with people so i think that's a great thing friends like good job we're we're a, a good place but then it's like when i when i heard that from them i was like oh that's cool really <laughs> like how how did that happen you know it's like when somebody comes up and like thank you so much for that gift and you're like i think they thought i'm somebody else i don't remember giving them that gift thank you so much this is a great community how did that happen That's what we want to talk about this morning in Galatians. So Galatians is a book about justification. That's obviously a big theme and a big subject here. But it is more fully a conversation about how to be the community of Jesus. How to be this thing that we are called to be, that Jesus wants us to be? Is the church, like so many of us have so often experienced it, is the church just another kind of toxic affinity group furthering the divisiveness and, that we see in the world? Is it just a bunch of people who are demographically identical, have the same sort of views and opinions and practices and lifestyles, or is this something new? Is this something new? And the answer of Galatians is, of course, it is. It is something very new. It's like like a brand new creation. So how does this happen? It happens through a series of onlys that we're going to walk through today. There's really, truly only one path to create, to be a part of, to sustain this beautiful community that we have tasted a little bit of, but we would love to see so much more here and be a part of. And so, we're going to start here in Galatians six and work our way backward to Galatians one to to follow the path of these onlys to see how does this beautiful new creation community come to be. And the first step we see right away in chapter five, the new creation. Happens only by the work of the Holy Spirit, look back with me at Galatians five verse sixteen so we 're going to work our way from Galatians six and this depiction of this community that Paul calls a new creation, and we 're going to work backwards to Galatians one, getting an overview of the book as we go, but also understanding paul 's heart and, and how this all works together galatians five sixteen Paul says but I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Look at the, the, the desires of the flesh, verse, eight, uh, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Right, those are those d- describing the end of community the fracturing of relationships, the antithesis to the beautiful community. But verse 22 says, the fruit of the Spirit, that is the produce of the Spirit, that is what happens when the Spirit's in a person's life and in a community's life, are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of the things that we would love to be in a community defined by. We would love to be in a community that looks like that. And it is only possible by the work of the Holy Spirit. It is impossible otherwise. You can want a community all you want. You can work for a community all you want. It's not going to produce this. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. We see this simply in the phrase, but the fruit of the Spirit, and then the depiction of that fruit. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in you and me, as individuals. Meaning that this is what I am like when the Spirit of Jesus is at work in me. Another word for this is Christ-likeness. Right? We become, I become more like Christ. And it's only by being, by, by walking with the Spirit that I'm going to, that you're going to be that way. Do you want to be like Christ? Right? We want to be like Christ. And I want, I want to draw your attention to a little detail. We're not going to linger on this, but look at chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. For freedom Christ has set us free. And then look again in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. You were called to freedom. Here's this extraordinary thing that The Spirit's work in our lives to fill us with Jesus, that makes us more like, that sets us free to be more like who we were supposed to be and who we'd love to be. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is he does, he produces this fruit among us. That is, the Spirit produces this fruit in us and then produces it in other people because of us. People around us begin to experience these things because of our influence. Uh, There's this talk in leadership circles lately where they talk about being a non-anxious presence. A non-anxious presence can go into a, a conflict or into a stressful situation and just by being there diffuses it that's sort of the secular marketplace saying, "Hey, we need people who are filled with the fruit of the spirit to be in our spaces, because they have an ecosystem effect. They have an influence on the entire ecosystem, and it becomes a place, a place of the spirit's work, a place of love and joy and peace. Right? Isn't this This is what we want for fellowship Bible Church. This is what we want for our homes. This is what we want for all of our spaces. We want these to be places of love where we're known and loved and places where we can rejoice with each other and we can get peace and give peace through difficult things as well. But well, we can't do this on our own. We can't even approach it on our own. Paul's opponents here, they've got a whole plan and strategy for how to make a beautiful community, but we're going to see what they produce in just a second. It's not that. We can't do this. It is only. Do I have it capitalized there? Yeah. Only a work of the Holy Spirit. So what should you do if you want something in your life that is only a work of the Spirit? What should you do? You should ask Him to do it. Right? We should pray. We should wait. Trust Him to do it. The second thing that happens... The Spirit does this work. But as we go back in, in Paul's argument, he says that the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, is only given to those who are justified. Now, I'm going to bring in another category here because Paul brings it in. It was important to the, the conflict at Galatia. But justified and being an heir of Abraham, uh, an inheritor of the Abrahamic estate, in other words. These things are, are very similar... Ideas in Paul's mind. So I just want to touch on them briefly. Let's go back to Galatians 2.16, which I know is a little bit of a jump, but it's where Paul begins to talk about being justified. And then we'll look into chapter 3 where he explains this more fully. Galatians 2.16, Paul raises this question. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ so we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law so those who are justified now let's hold hold that let's go into chapter 3 verse 7 know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that god would justify the gentiles by faith you see the by faith the gentiles get justified by faith, you become a child of Abraham. So these are, these are the same thing. We look at ch- chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit. So the Spirit only comes as the inheritance promised to Abraham, which is only given to those who are justified. Beep, 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 beep. Get that? Get that? We're this, We're talking the same about the same thing, even though it's kind of old, biblically words, and you're struggling. So God made this promise to Abraham, and the promise to Abraham, I want you to understand what it was. It was actually ultimately talking about a restored Eden-like relationship with God. Remember that that little that little moment in uh, the Garden of Eden depiction where where uh, God's going to come walk with them in the cool of the evening. I don't know if that's even the right. Uh, translation of that phrase but it captures this 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 idea of what it was like to be there sin free with god present to you now in galatians chapter 5 verse 25 paul says let's walk by the spirit of god let's walk let's keep in step with the spirit of god that promise and hope is now our christian reality that's what god promised to abraham is now ours because We, we have been justified. We have put our faith in Jesus. He is the righteous one. He is Abraham's true inheritor. And because we are in him, we get all the good stuff that he deserves. And so the apostles right away in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit is poured out, they say, this is what was promised to our fathers, and you can have it if you put your faith in Jesus. You get the inheritance. All who are in Jesus are counted righteous and they get to receive the inheritance. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 29, the last verse in chapter 3, where Paul says, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and you inherit the promise. And the promise is the Spirit. So this new creation only comes through the work of the Spirit. Which I think because the Spirit is, is sort of vague enough in our minds that most everybody's like, cool, a Spirit, all right, I can kind of roll with that. But now the Spirit only comes to those who have been justified by faith in Jesus. The door suddenly gets a little smaller and a little lower. Is that you? Have you been justified by faith in Jesus? Are, are you the inheritor of the Abrahamic promises? The whole weight of the story of Scripture, is it yours? There's this moment in Alice in Wonderland where Alice comes to the end of a hallway and there's a little small door at the end of the hallway and she gets down and looks through it and she sees a beautiful garden. But how can she get through it? The door is too small. It's too low. It's too small. She's not going to be able to get into the good place that she sees. And, of course, it's a children's book, so chapters ensue of shenanigans with her getting larger, smaller, all sorts of problems. At one point, I think she almost drowns in her own tears, literally. So it's, it's kind of wacky. But for us, it's a pretty simple question. How do we get into that spot? We can't fit. We're not going to be able to get into the beautiful new creation community just by wanting to or working for it? How are we going to get in there? And so the question, the simple, easy question, but this is a pinch point for a lot of people and for a lot of us, is that unless we are willing to be <clears throat> honest about our various our failures to justify ourselves, unless we can be honest about our failure to justify ourselves and put our faith in Jesus, that's the question of justification are you doing it right or do you need Jesus to do it right for you have you ever tried to have you ever been uh, felt fellow like you were put in a place where you had to justify your life <clears throat> like you, maybe sometimes you feel this way yourself like why am I here what am I doing what, what good am I and you sort of begin to build a case right like well hey I'm good enough I'm s- smart enough Dog on it. People like me. You begin, you begin to build a case to justify yourself, right? We seem we are magnetized in these questions uh, come to us in moments of insecurity. We are magne- magnetized to look for our merits or look to our works to to distinguish us, even in our own sight, let alone in others. We look to our our strengths, what we've what we've accomplished. We look to our work ethic. Well, I may not be too much, but I work. We look to these things to make us feel justified, to make us feel like we deserve the blessings that other people are getting, and how dare we be afflicted with these woes that nobody else seems to be struggling with, because of because this of me and all that I've done. But what Paul is describing here is he says that that's just basically that's a useful fiction that the world wants to create and to use to create and sustain enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. You can reverse engineer this. If you notice any of those things in your life or in the world, dissensions or divisions, you can reverse engineer this to a bunch of people who are looking to their own work or their own attributes to justify themselves and to be justified. And Paul says... First of all, first of all, you've got to be justified by faith in Jesus alone. And the Spirit comes to those people, and the Spirit creates a beautiful community for them. So we're justified. How, then? Let's think about this a little bit more. Here's another only that Paul labors on. We are justified only through faith. This is so important to our identity. Go back with me to chapter 3, verse 27. Where Paul says that as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The identity of our community is not that we are good people. I think you're fine. But that's not our identifying characteristic. We're not good people. We're not traditional people. That's not our defining feature. We're people who love tradition. We're conservative or we're liberal. These are not our defining characteristics. Chapter 2, verse 16. This is our defining characteristic. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified. We are the people who needed somebody else to do the stuff that we could not do. And so by the nature of that relationship, we are defined as people who had to have faith. We had to have faith in somebody else to, to rescue us, to find us, to forgive us, to deliver us, to redeem us. We needed someone to work for us. So we are only what we are by faith. Only faith and only grace. These two kind of work together. I, I, I didn't really want to separate them, but I kind of was working through this idea of the whole sequence of onlys. but We are only justified by faith because it had to be grace. right? We, it, somebody else had to do what we needed done. And so we had to receive it and so we had to trust in that person. We had to trust the giver if we had any hope of receiving the gift. It had to be faith because it had to be grace. Now go back with me to chapter 1. As we conclude all of these all of these things come to us they only actually begin in our life when we hear something when we hear the gospel that's the first only that we interact with we don't think about being justified we don't think about the holy spirit we think about the gospel chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And we're going to dig into this next week where Paul lays out the gospel here. Here's the gospel, though. Jesus, verse 4, Jesus gave himself, he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Jesus' life comes to us Through the power of the Spirit, in these words, he we meet him here. In these words, that's why Paul is going to he's going to go into a, a passionate defense of the only gospel, because the gospel is the only thing that that launches, that initiates, that protects, and serves, and strengthens the series of onlys that results in this beautiful new creation community. Jesus is the source of that life. Jesus is the source of that life. He gave his life for us, and he gives his life to us. He created the new creation when he gave his life for us, and he continually creates the new creation because his life has been given to us. And Jesus comes to us in the Gospel. The Gospel story, the Gospel words, they, they work with the power of God in our lives because they tell us about Jesus. Because in them we meet Jesus. Okay. That's the sequence of onlys. Here's a, here I think is the challenge for us this morning. <clears throat> Some people... Feel very strongly, I'm a social person. I love people. I want relationships. I want to be in that kind of beautiful new creation community. I want that. If you want it, if you want that, get to know the gospel. Get to know the gospel. Paul has this great phrase in chapter 3, verse 2, where he says, Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? If you long for this beautiful new creation community, listen to the Gospel more and more with faith. And this is not just for any of us who would say, I don't know if I trust Jesus. This is for all of us, all of us who say, I love Jesus. I've trusted in Jesus. This is for all of us to put more and more of our faith, to listen more and more closely to the Word of God, and put more and more of our faith in the all-touching grace of Jesus. He wants to be everywhere in our lives. He wants us to listen to Him, and listen to His message everywhere. The, The new creation, this beautiful thing that we want, it grows from the gospel seed. That's it. That's the only way it emerges. It doesn't come any other way. You know, our natural, our default, right, is to try to create a community kind of based around my needs, my felt needs, like, oh, these people get me, these people listen to me, these people, I think they can take care of me. Or we put together a community based around whatever's our current anger. Oh, we're against those things together. Those are toxic beginnings to a relationship, toxic beginnings to a community, because there's no source of life in that. There's got to be a source of life coming from outside of a, of a band of sinners, if we have any hope of seeing beauty here. So if you want to be a part of this, get to know the gospel of Jesus more and more. Now, there's others of us who might say, "Well, I'll put up with church just so long that the gospel's there, just so long that there's good teaching, good preaching, good music." Well, do you love the gospel? If you love the gospel, bup, 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 bup. Real community is the fruit of a real love for the gospel. Just as the new creation grows from the gospel seed, the gospel seed grows into the new creation community. I think a very important self-assessing question for people who would say, I love the gospel is am I a part of a web of relationships, of mutual care, responsibility, and accountability? Am I a part of something like that? Something like church membership in a local body? Am I a functioning, contributing, accountable, active part of something like that? If you love the gospel... That's where it goes. That's where it wants to go. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12, Anybody who loves to see the Spirit at work in the world, let them be eager to build up the body of Christ. Now I know I'm a pastor. I know that the church is not always the beautiful community. But like Philip Yancey says in one of his books, he says that at one point in his life he left the church because of how little grace he found in it. But he ended up coming back to it because it was the only place there was any grace anywhere in the world. Well, these onlys in Galatians. Galatians explains how that works when it works. And it works by grace. It works by the gospel. It works by the Spirit of God. And it works by the work of Jesus in us. So let's pray for that to happen more and more. Let's pray that now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word again. We pray, Lord, that your word would dwell in us richly. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take these things and bring them to us, to what we need to hear, to encourage us. And to direct us. Lord, we want to, every one of us wants to be a part of a beautiful new creation community. And so we pray that you would direct us to what we need to give attention to. And ultimately, that's the gospel. The good news of the story of Jesus. And from that flows a people of grace and a people of faith, a people whose justification is not in themselves, but is in Him. And in that place, the fruit of the Spirit blooms. So Father, would you do this in our hearts? Do what's necessary in our hearts. We all pray together so that that becomes more and more true of this church.